Parent Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Chikumba. My pronouns are he, him, and his, and I'm joined live and direct by my co-host, Lisette Trujillo. Hi, everyone. Lisette here, she, her, Aya. Each week, we bring you our take on all things happening in the world and the perspective of two parents of BIPOC trans kids. It is the big episode three zero. We are finally hitting another milestone. And today we've got an amazing guest on our show, Jeanette Jennings, the mother of Jazz Jennings. And she's literally one of the most visible parents of transgender people we've had on our show to date. Stephen, I've been really looking forward to this episode with Jeanette. You and me both. Well, rather than us talk about her, let's get the show started. All right, Stephen, give me the rundown. What have you been up to? So... This week has been like a whirlwind. Obviously, we are in West Hollywood today. Hence, Lisa and I are actually- in the same city, <laughs> same location. And we've had so many occasions where we tried to do this, but never really were able to. No. So this is like very exciting. We actually kicked Jose and Daniel out of the room so we could take over. So I'm very excited. Today is the day that we are going to be part of the human rights series of the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, where they're going to screen the- dads and like there's a possibility that d wade is actually going to be in the cut it's i'm i'm saying it's like 98 percent. listen i i want to believe you all right i came prepared for d wade to be here but i don't know if i'm going to be sufficiently calm enough you're gonna have to like i know i'm gonna have to i don't know if i'm gonna you be gotta to. get him on the podcast so you're gonna have to be calm because i'm not gonna be at the dinner okay so you're gonna have to like sell this so even though you're not going to be at the dinner, we are going to be at the screening together. Oh, yeah, so, for sure. Like I think I'm going to have to leave you. Because remember, we already talked about, like, I'm going to say, hey, you know, this is really cool. And you're going to be like, oh, my goodness. You know what I just... But what if he's like, I'm not going to the screening? Okay, that's it. You, you can't even put that kind of energy I'm out just there. saying, like, it could be that... like a dinner Folks, thing. she didn't put that energy out there. We're not going to okay, talk about that at all. We're going to talk about that. Um, okay, so, so we're in West Hollywood. We have dinner. We have a screening. Yeah. This week... I have done so much work with Garden State Equality. And so I'm working in Camden, mm-hmm. trying to bring together local organizers and community members and working on positive deviance. And it's really something that I've been watching you do, like on the ground work with support groups and working with families directly and a lot of like literally in the trenches on the ground work. And you probably don't see yourself doing it, but I see you doing it. And so I'm like, I'm happy to be joining your ranks. Yeah. I'm happy for you too. It's a lot of work. So, I mean, honestly, we have so much to talk about, but we only have a limited amount of time because we're about to go to this dinner. So what have you been up to? I mean, I've just been working in our real business with Jose, busy, busy, because it's holidays. Um, And then, you know, just doing all the advocacy stuff. It's quiet right now, but everyone's prepping for January. Right, legislation. So that's kind of scary, but super excited to be here. Obviously, you and me both. Yeah. You and me both. But we've got like a full show today. Mm-hmm. So let's not even dilly dally with what's going on in our lives. Let's get to today's topics. All right, let's do it. Did you hear about the Texas school board that had to reinstate the trans student who was kicked off of the play because of the backlash they received? I did hear about this. They supposedly were following the policy that doesn't permit students to play on teams or perform allegedly in any roles that did not match the student's assigned gender at birth. And because they made this decision to kick out the student who had won the spot in the play Oklahoma because they were a trans student and not a assigned male at birth student, they received such a national ass kicking that they were like, oh, well, you know what? We're going to rewrite the role to accommodate the fact that this person was an assigned male at birth and continue to receive backlash. And they were like, oh, you know what? We're just going to reinstate the student. And that's where they should have been at the first place like yes. what difference does it make what the gender of the child is if they were talented enough to get the role which obviously they were look at again playing someone in a play and the character is fictitious I why mean, does it matter why does it matter and this is how much these people get caught up in their own stupidity, not even thinking, hmm, fictitious play, actor, acting, doing a great job, picked for the role. Nope, you can't be that role because you were not assigned the gender of this fictitious character in this play at birth. Let him sing. Let him sing. Let him dance. Let him dance. Let him be in the fucking play. <laughs> be 
in the fucking play. I'm glad we see eye to eye on this. And I'm glad that the school board was shamed yeah, into doing the right thing. We need more of that. We need more of that all day, every day, and twice on the Sunday. Uh, wow. And other fuckery. The Medical University of South Carolina has closed, like, any care, any gender-affirming care for patients. They let go of patients because there was a, what's the word? Like, a parenthetical graduate student's research went out on MUSC, right? And they stated that the youngest trans patient to come in was four. But it did not clarify that they did not receive hormone care and or surgical care, but just went in to establish care. And so Elon Musk, X, everyone lost their minds. So in order to like remove any scrutiny from the hospital, they've stopped providing any care at all. This is the problem. Like what you're talking about is the problem. Now, no patient who was otherwise eligible to receive care at this hospital can get care because of this one situation, which again, lacking context leads to these sensational beliefs about what's happening with youth in care and gender affirming care and how wrong it is. When in fact, that hospital was probably supporting that family's social transition of the child and that's it. There was no medicine involved. There was no surgery involved. There was nothing involved outside of perhaps mental health care, which yeah. is the most important thing that you can do when you're dealing with a child with any form of dysphoria or more importantly, who is starting to explore their gender identity. That is the safest place for them in a facility that affirms children and families. And the only other hospital that provided care in South Carolina closed their care earlier in the year. And so now there's nowhere to receive life-saving gender affirming care in South Carolina. And once again, the bigots have created a problem where none existed. Exactly. I can't. I really can't. So in more positive news, the Wisconsin governor, Tony Evers, a Democrat, on Wednesday vetoed a bill that would have banned gender-affirming care for trans minors in the state. Governor Evers took to the platform formerly known as Twitter to say, I promised I would veto any bill that makes Wisconsin a less safe, less inclusive, and less welcoming place for LGBTQ folks and kids, and I keep my promises. Like, kudos to you, Governor. Honestly, that's what should have happened in South Carolina. Right. Ugh, so annoying. Also, as we've been seeing all the ERA testimony happening all week. Democrats and LGBTQ plus groups are urging President Joe Biden's administration to quickly finalize its proposed LGBTQ inclusive updates to Title IX, a federal law prohibiting sex discrimination in education. The updates, which would reinstate trans inclusive policies, initially promised in October... 60 congressional leaders sent a signed letter to the Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona's office demanding that the department finalize the rules as soon as possible, which is really important because, I mean, legislation is around the corner. I live in a state that already has, like, banned sports for trans people. And so. the thing is so crazy is you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene, you've got Lauren Boebert, you've got Matt Gates, you've got Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines, the most unsuccessful famous person <laughs> is constantly out here railing against policies that support the participation of trans women in sports. And it's really so bothersome to me the way they're going so hard to address an issue that's once again not an issue. The number of trans girls and women in sports is infinitesimal. Yeah. It's infinitesimal. The threat to biological cis women in sports is illusory. And here we are time and time again with these Republicans devoting so much time to demonize a group of people for whom all they really want to do is participate in sports. So I, I, I think it's great that these Democratic congressmen, representatives have signed this letter. I really hope that the Biden administration really kind of moves forward Absolutely. because this is this is a problem that really needs a solution sooner than later. Because as you said, session is coming and these Republicans will not rest until they have completely stripped away the rights of trans people specifically, but everybody in our society generally, because these laws, these laws are violating people's rights of privacy. They're not talking about sports and bodily autonomy. They are talking about basic privacy rights, which have been enshrined for centuries at this point coming under attack. I mean, I just got tired about the privacy. I mean, when we saw Dobbs fall, we knew that privacy was losing any of its hold in terms of allowing people to keep their rights and bodily autonomy. So it's frustrating. And I really do, I really hope that if the Biden administration really does what it should do and it passes the ruling quickly, we can have some sort of recourse for legislation. 
Well, again, I think the Biden administration knows what they're up against. I think so far they've demonstrated their commitment to the LGBTQ plus community. They've been champions since he got in office. And it's just a matter of making sure that they move with some degree of urgency because that is what's needed in this moment. Yeah, I hope so. And then we have the elections. Right, right. And things kind of get lost in the sauce. <laughs> no, seriously, things no, kind of get no. lost in the sauce when people are focused on getting reelected and some of those priorities start to wane. Well, we need to get to our interview. So yes, we got to let it go. We definitely have somebody who can talk to us in greater depth about the sports thing, about the urgency of the moment. So enough about today's topic. Let's get to our guest. Let's get to it. Jeanette Jennings is a mother of Jazz Jennings, the transgender activist featured on the family's TLC reality series, I Am Jazz, an activist for her child and other transgender youth since acknowledging her child's identity at the age of two, Jeanette Jennings formed Trans Kids Purple Rainbow Foundation to help spread the message of tolerance, acceptance, and unconditional love. A recipient of the Equality San Diego's Ally Award and the Ackerman Institute Family Award, along with her husband, Greg. Everyone, please welcome Jeanette Jennings to our show. Welcome to the show, Jeanette. It's so great to have you. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm excited. So Jeanette, you and your family have literally been trailblazers for trans youth and families and have contributed so much to the progress we've seen in the last 18 years. What are you most proud of today when you think about jazz and your family's journey? Well, first of all, 18 years, you're dating me. I I, I can't believe it, but when I was counting, counting my fingers, uh, Jazz is 23 and I'm, um, you know, 25. So I just, I can't believe that. I feel like we just started on this journey. Uh, but thank you for pointing that out. It's 18 years. And I'd have to say I'm most proud of the impact we've had on the youth and their families through our visibility. Each of our family members contributes in a different way. I can only really talk from my perspective because I walk in my own shoes, but I I'm so touched when I speak to parents that share their stories and they say, you know what, you've impacted our lives. I don't even know if my child would be alive today if it wasn't for you sharing Jazz's story. And we start to cry, of course. There's a lot of hugging. There's been so many tears throughout the years, but uh, laughter as well. And it's so important for people to share their stories. I truly believe in that. And I get a lot of emails, many parents, you know, even today at an airport, <laughs> people will come up to me and, and that's the impact that means the most. But I do have to share one story. Our foundation every year at the Philadelphia Trans Wellness Conference since 2008, we've been throwing a party for the kids and it used to be a pool party. And now it's just kind of like a gala or a ball or whatever. It's not really DJ. But anyway, I had a young man about 14 or 15 years old come up to me. His name was John. And he said to me in, through tears, I want to thank you so much because this is the first time I've ever been able to take my shirt off in front of other people. And I just was like, oh, you know, I was trying to hold it in. He said, you know, I nobody ever gets to see my body and I feel safe here and I feel comfortable here. And I, I just want to thank you for that. And that was the beginning of like, okay, I'm doing the right thing, being out here talking, sharing, being on TV or whatever. Like I got to continue the work that we're doing. I'm so glad that you mentioned your foundation, Trans Kids Purple Rainbow Foundation. You founded this in 2007 alongside another parent. What was the motivation behind getting this organization started? And I also want to say the reason why we, we mentioned how long you've been advocating is because it's so important for people to understand this isn't new, right? Like the far right has continued to say this, like this is new. It's, and the reality is, is that your family, along with the many others who really paved the way early on in the early on, gave space for families like our own to find each other, to find you and to begin the journey of supporting our kids. What was that like to start a foundation in a time when there was a gap in resources? Well, you said the right thing. There, there was a gap, more like a black hole in uh, resources. I remember going to the library and looking for a book, you know, how to raise your transgender preschooler. There was nothing. There was nothing on the internet. I did find uh, a bunch of parents and they were my lifesaver. They really were. But I'll, I'll go back in time very quickly. Jazz was having trouble getting into kindergarten. They weren't going to allow her to be her true self in kindergarten. So I spoke to somebody who was associated with somebody in the press in a local newspaper. And they said, you know, do a story. Don't show your faces. Don't tell your real names, but do a story, put pressure on the school. And it worked. And the school said, okay, we're going to work with you. In the meantime, that little story ended up in the Village Voice, ended up being seen by somebody 
great ABC News who tracked us down and said, you know what, uh, we want to do a story about you and your family. And we were like, absolutely not. We are not putting our kindergartner on national television. We, we let somebody else do it. Like we, we can't do this. And after 10 months of back and forth and back and forth, my husband being the great man that he is, he said, we will do it, but you have to give us Barbara Walters. And when that happened, every, the ball started rolling and the rest is history. So when we knew that this was going to happen, we thought maybe we should put something on the internet to help other people. This, you know, we're going to have this platform. Let's try to, you know, capitalize on that and, and get to the other families. And we didn't even know if there would be any other families, but there were. And um, they started coming out of the woodwork. All of a sudden, you know, one support group I had, all these other families were in there. I'm like, oh, we're not alone. You know, I don't have the youngest kid anymore. Now let's moving forward. I'm frustrated because we had been making so much progress over the many years. And now where we are today makes me very sad and very frustrated. But as the president of a foundation and as a mom of a now who's an adult transgender kid, I'm not going to stop fighting. I, I get in my car and I drive seven hours to Tallahassee, Florida, which is not a fun drive to get up in front of the legislators, speak on gender affirming care, on the sports, on the bathrooms, you name it. I, I've talked to them. And during the pandemic, we would have Zooms with legislators. It was the uh, at the time of sports, because that was really like something I knew a lot about. And we'd sit there in the Zoom with these legislators and they were all Republican, by the way. And I was trying to convince them you can't pass this law. You can't take sports away from these children. And I would tell Jazz's story and I literally be in tears. And some of them, you know, were sympathetic. And then the one that had put it on the house floor, she was like, I have to protect the integrity of women's sports. And she didn't care what I had to say. So as the president of this foundation, I continue to move forward. I know we're on the right side of history. As long as the foundation's there, I'm going to be there. As long as I'm there, the foundation will be there. And we just want to help. In fact, we want to work with you guys more in the future as well. So we'll have to talk uh, how we can work together. So you actually, you've got this Nostradamus thing going because you started talking about the question that I had for you. Your daughter Jazz talked about being banned from soccer at the age of eight. And mm -hmm. she talked about how the ban made her feel excluded. It had no merit and it negatively affected her and your family. And even though Jazz was eventually allowed to play sports through the help and support of NCLR, what has it been like for you to see all these state sports bans passed, including in Florida and in Lizette State of Arizona and countless others over the last three years? And then part two of that question is, what advice do you have for the families of trans athletes who are still trying to play sports and have their kids involved in sports? Well, it's an understatement to say that I am frustrated. This is heartbreaking for me because I saw so much progress. I'm like, the trans kids are playing sports. They're getting to do what they want to do. And now it's just all unraveling. We're going backwards. And I don't see us going forward in the near future, but long-term, I know that we're on the right side of history. I know that we're going to win this. Uh, we're going to win the war. We're losing the battles. I, I won't you know, sugarcoat it. But I tell the parents that are dealing with this that I understand and my heart hurts for them, but they have to challenge. They have to sue if they have to. They need to speak out. The only way that change will occur is if they say something. Otherwise, we can't move forward because stories matter and voices matter. And it's imperative that they don't give up. And I know it's so hard. And I would never say to a parent, oh, you know, you have to fight the fight. But if they do, it's really going to help move the needle forward or back to where it was. Let's go back to where it was. And all these kids deserve to play. I mean, they're just kids. Let the kids play. I have a big sign. Let them play. Absolutely. It's so interesting because I saw a video of Jazz. I think she was maybe eight or nine. It was probably around the time when she was being forced to sit. And as, as a parent of, a, of two kids who've been playing soccer since they were very little, she had mad skills. Like literally, she's <laughs> juggling the ball, kicking it like six or seven feet up in the air and just keeping it in the air. As a small child to be able to do that, she had so many skills. And to see your child really light up, enjoying what they're doing, enjoying the camaraderie of teammates, enjoying the camaraderie of playing. I think there was even like an audio of you talking about how much joy she got over being on the field and how ridiculous it was for people to be talking about, well, she can't play because she's going to hurt other kids. She was a dainty little waif of a child, not even the biggest 
child on the pitch. And yet you've got people saying things that just are completely disconnected from reality because the brainwashing is effective. The brainwashing about what is and isn't when it comes to to sports and trans athletes, it's really so pervasive that it's hard to reconcile with the reality of what we actually see and know as parents of, of trans children. You said that so well, and I appreciate the fact that you noticed that Jazz had skill, and it wasn't because what was between her legs. It had nothing to do with that. She was the tiniest one on the team. She just is an athlete, and my husband's an athlete, and my other kids are athletes. I, however, can't do anything involving a ball, throwing, kicking, <laughs> hitting, you name it. I don't go near balls, but she was agile, and she was fast, but she wasn't stronger. She didn't have this boom, and you know, the federation in our own state, we said, let us show you a picture of the team. And let's see if you can pick out who Jazz is. And they said, we don't need to see. It should be evident. You know, and they're picturing this big lumberjack with all these other girls. And they didn't even give it a chance. Uh, it, you know, took two and a half years before we finally won that battle. But it was just uh, devastating that they just shut the door, just shut it down immediately. Oh, it's a boy in a dress. Blah, 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 and, that, and that was it. So um, thank you for noticing her skills. I've always been proud of them and she's been proud of them. And when she finally got to play, she got to show those skills again. It's so interesting because our kids are so, they're, they were small, like Jazz was five, six at this time. And uh, there was a time when Daniel was in fifth grade. It was even before like organized sports. They still were all in like these, like, you know, they had PE but it wasn't like sports teams. Daniel had a horrible experience with one of his peers. And it was another student who began teaching him how to play basketball that made all the difference that year, right? Like that was his safety net. And I know in, you know, some of the interviews that Jazz gave, she spoke about the camaraderie she had with her other teammates and like what a difference that made. And I just wish people would see the value in community spaces and camaraderie that sports teams actually give our children and teach our children so many things about how to interact and engage with other people. Absolutely. So true. Um, and let them play with their friends. Like Jazz was a girl. She didn't want to play with the little boys. And I'll never forget the year we decided, she said, okay, she wants to play. She said she'd play with the boys. I didn't really, I wasn't all for it, but she said she would do it just so that she could play. So I remember clearly walking down the center and the boys were on this side and the girls were on this side. And all the girls were like, hey, Jazz, come on over, you know, play with us. And literally I had to steer her the other way to where the boys were. And I'm like, I, I had an out of body experience. I, I just pictured like, like seeing this from another point of view, I'm like, is this really happening? Am I really depositing my daughter over here? And she's like, oh, mom, they're gross. They're all burping and farting. And, you know, I, I want to be with my friends over there. I'm like, Jazz, you don't have to play with the boys. And she said, no, I will. And it turned out to be a disaster. Um, she ended up literally being traumatized um, because she was just so she didn't want to be around them. And she felt like, uh, you know, she was being forced to be a boy by playing with the boys. And that certainly wasn't the case. And her coach was so lovely. And they said, he said, she's so talented. I'm sorry that this is happening to her. So eventually we just went back to the girls team where she practiced with them until, um, of course, the ban was lifted when she was 11. And that was a great, great time. We all celebrated when the ban was finally lifted. That's amazing. In a recent interview with People Magazine, you said that jazz gave you strength. And I know that both Stephen and I have had similar experiences of awe while we've been supporting our children. What has been the most surprising lesson you learned as a parent? And what advice do you have for other parents of trans youth who may feel overwhelmed by this current political moment? You know, you have transgender children. And like you said, you're in awe. And I am, Jazz constantly surprises me. Her wisdom really knows no bounds. When she was younger, I just couldn't believe how articulate she was as a child. And I'm like, I never knew kids like could be such old souls. But so many of the transgender kids are old souls. And I even say, you know, now that she's 23, I look back at her accomplishments and she's been through so much and her resilience has just been unbelievable. She, she blows me away. I can't gain my strength from her. How However, I have to say with the political climate right now, it's devastating for many families. I just want everybody to stay strong and know their kids are, are the most incredible, incredible people. Saying that all tr trans kids are incredible is, is an understatement because I feel like they are all talented, gifted, smart. They're good at art. They're good at theater. They're good at politics. And I'm like, and I see it with transgender adults too. I'm like, they are the higher beings. They are the kids that can do everything. And I wish people could appreciate and just see how incredible these children are because I've never met a transgender kid that isn't just out of the box incredible. They amaze me. They blow me away. And uh, you don't know if I got off topic, but just remember 
or how special these kids are. And the tide will change. The political climate right now is awful, I understand, but your kids are special and the world needs to see that. And I know that the world will. I'm just going to hug you through this damn Zoom camera. I'm just telling you, your energy and your spirit is infectious. And it's important for parents of TGNC youth to have that open, welcoming, unconditional, loving spirit because our children absolutely need it and they thrive on it. And they are doing amazing things. I am probably the proudest parent of a trans child because along with Lisette's son, Daniel and Libby and Grayson, they all met the president and first lady at the HRC annual awards dinner. And you and your family also met a president. I believe his name rhymes with Harak. <laughs> It does. What was that like? Well, first of all, your kids are incredible. I I listened to your podcast and I I just wanted to be there. I'm like, I want to be there too. This sounded like a wonderful event. And um, it brought me back in time. uh, Back when Jazz was 14, she got invited to the White House. And that's when they used to have these big pride celebrations inside the White House. And they would invite all different LGBTQ people from across the globe. And we're like, wow, we got an invitation from Obama to go here. Maybe we'll meet him. Maybe we won't. But as we entered the building, we found out that we were like VIPs and we were actually going to have the opportunity to meet him. And Jazz was like, wow, 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 I'm so excited. And they took us and they shuffled us from here to there. And there was like maybe 30 other people. And some of them were like recording artists and you know, famous people. And they took Jazz and they're like, you're going to be first. We want you to meet the president first. And she's like, me? Why me? She's like, mom, I have to pee. I can't be first. I need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to pee on the floor of the Oval Office or wherever the heck we were going. I'm like, Jazz, you're just going to have to hold it in. She's like, I was just so excited. Why did they put me first? I'm so nervous. And so I'm like, you you can do it. You can hold this in. And they came up to us. And there's so many people working these events, as you know. And they said, you are not to talk to the president. You shall walk up to him. You shall shake his hand and take a picture and move on. That's what we do. There's other people behind you. So I get in there. I'm all nervous. I actually saw Biden over there talking to somebody. I'm like, I want to meet him too. So we meet Barack Obama and he says to Jazz, well, how old are you? And he starts a whole conversation and she starts talking. I'm 14. He goes, my daughter's the same age. You know, are you in this grade? And they start having a whole conversation and the people in charge are like, you know, Mr. President, we we need to move on. He's like, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And they broke that moment and um, we took the picture and I was like, Jazz, just keep holding it in, keep holding it in. And we walked away kind of quickly because I knew she had to go to the bathroom. And as we're walking away, he looks at her and he goes, I'm proud of you. Like he says it, like, I'm proud of you. And that's how he speaks. And I'm like, oh, like, I don't care if she pees her pants. I'm, I'm going to pee my pants. Like this was <laughs> a moment in my life. You should be so proud. And these other people around are appreciating how incredible your children are and are proud of them as well because they deserve that recognition. They have put their lives out there for everybody to see and they are working so hard. So when a president, you know, commends your child as has happened to you as well, it's just unbelievable. And that that's just a moment that is probably one of the top five moments of my life, like really incredible day. And it's a reminder that they're just kids. Like literally we were at this, the national HRC gala, Daniel's met the president and he texts me from the VIP area. And he's like, mom, I'm in the VIP area. It's so cool. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Like, who are you talking to? He's like, no mom, they have like soda and grape and sandwiches and like, just like really caring about like nurturing his food needs. And I was like, this is when you know that like, they're still just kids, right? Like they have been pushed into like these like unnatural situations where they're forced to advocate for themselves. You're right. They have a wisdom because they have a deep understanding that the world doesn't see them. And so I just love that you share this story. I almost cried hearing about it because I look at Daniel and we're really lucky to live in a city where there's older, you know, LGBTQ advocates who've been trailblazers in their own ways. Historically, I tell Daniel, you're no different than them. Like you're a part of this fabric of civil rights and and progress and movement. Like you are making a difference in ways that like people before us did. And so that's extraordinary. And also a reminder that normal people make change. And so I love that like 14 year old Jack is like, I got to pee mom. Like, can, how do we get out of this moment? And you know, it's still like amazing because you're meeting the president. So I just love that story so much. Thank you.
you for sharing it with us. You're welcome. You're welcome. And you know, I hear you talk about your kids with such pride and they are making a difference. And I've always said to Jax, you know, sometimes it's rough on her. She's like, oh, it's too much, you know. And then she says, you know what? We're saving lives, mom. Even if we've saved one life, we both agree we've done our job. Like I never knew why I was put on this planet other than to be a mom. I have no passions. I'm not really great at anything, but this is why I'm here is to help these children, to help the parents, to help the families, to guide and to listen and to learn and to just keep moving forward. So yeah, you know, the old soul and all the other stories, they're our kids. These are our kids and they're doing wonderful things and they are changing lives and they are saving lives, which is so important. And they're just children. You were brought to this earth to mother. Jose told me that too. Like Jose is like, you need to understand that when you run support spaces and you're guiding families forward, you are mothering other children through the support that you give. And so just as my inner feminist was like, no, Jeanette, you are incredibly talented providing good things in the world. So I just want to say that. Thank you. Thank you. I still can't jump rope, but I can do other things. <laughs> so speaking of the way in which youth are moving things forward, students at a Florida school staged a walkout for the last two days in solidarity with their trans classmate who was outed and removed from the school's volleyball team. What has the mood been like in your state as families continue to be attacked in such discriminatory ways? The mood in Florida has been very somber in general. The political climate is awful here. Our politicians are terrible. Our governor is terrible. I won't even start calling him names that I that I call him. But the people here are fantastic. The families here are fantastic. I have seen situations. I live very close to Stoneman Douglas. My kids were supposed to go there to that school. And I saw this community come together and rally around those kids and those families. And Florida is incredible, incredible people. So this is all over the news down here that these kids are marching for this one child and their principal and assistant principal and other faculty members were, I guess, displaced or moved somewhere else. And they said, this is wrong. And for two days in a row, and I haven't checked the news today, it could be three days in a row, they are standing up for what they know is right. And I'm I'm so proud of them. I'm proud of their families, the way they have rallied around this school. And I watch, I turn the news on and it's just, it keeps coming out. The newscasters are also very favorable. Uh, we have a bunch of LGBTQ people in the news down here that do great stories and they're, you know, they're on our side. They're asking the right questions. They're not misgendering. And, you know, I just always hate when they interview somebody on the school line and like a parent or a kid and like, oh, well, he shouldn't be allowed to play or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. And if his birth certificate says this, well, you know what? Her birth certificate probably says she's a female. My kids did. So, you know, you do think you know what you're talking about. What does the state going to do? The birth certificate says female. How, how else are you going to find out? And I've heard politicians in other states say, you know, well, they'll have to check. You're going to check kids' genitalia. I, I saw this on TV. It blew my mind away. So the politicians down here are the, are the bad guys. I, I've seen DeSantis on TV going, literally, I see if I can do his accent. I don't know what pansexuality is, but I don't want my kids learning about it in school. I, this is what I hear. And other politicians just saying they're trying to change our, you know, our little boys into little girls with the books. And I know one of those books is my kids. Two of them are her books, actually. So I am proud of the school. I am proud of our community. I'm proud of Florida. I'm proud to be a Floridian, but our government has got to go. They got to go. We got to go blue. We definitely do. It's so interesting that you talk about the discourse around sports bans, right? Like, how are you going to check this? I lived in a state where one of the very first sports bans stated that there had to be internal and external medical checks in order to allow trans girls to play sport. And, you know, in Arizona, the Arizona Interscholastic Association had for 11 years already had a transgender uh, athlete policy and had only allowed something like three athletes to ever play in the state. And so this idea that we were going to force young girls to have vaginal ultrasounds to prove that they were really girls is mind blowing. Senator Nancy Bardo, who's no longer a senator, was one of the people who proposed this bill. And when it was brought up to her, she was fumbling and stumbling over herself because she had no idea what the implications of this bill really meant for people, for trans girls, cis girls playing sports in our state. So I think people not paying attention can really allow for harms through bills like this to have implications like wide reaching implications across all athlete students, right? And so I'm so glad that you mentioned that. 
I also wanted to ask you, and I know I've told you this like a thousand times, but your visibility in the book, I Am Jazz, it meant a lot to Daniel and our family. It was used in like the classroom social transition as a tool. And um, Daniel has always looked up to jazz. She was a reminder to him at a very young age that he wasn't alone, right? We watched your show together. We sent it to family who was unsupportive. And so she just meant so much to him at a time that felt really scary and uncertain. And when he met her a couple months ago, he like almost died. It was so cute to see him meet like jazz for the first time. And so my question to you is what advice or hopes do you have for young advocates like Daniel and Hobbs who have stepped up to the call to advocate alongside jazz during this really heightened political moment? I am so, so proud of your kids. What they are doing is unbelievable. The prom I saw it on the news like months ago, but I didn't put two and two together until we started speaking. I'm like, those are the kids because I I have met um, Rachel's daughter, Lizzie, when she was really, really little. Like, you know, when she was hiding behind her mother, I'm like, wow, she's come a long way. And I I, I just, I am so proud of them because I we know it's not easy to be transgender. Just coming out and saying, I'm trans to your family, to your friends and learning yourself that you are transgender is hard enough. Like years ago, the, people would keep it a secret. So now you're out and you, you feel weird that you've done this and now you're putting a spotlight on yourself you're sharing that with the world and literally the world i mean you're meeting the president you're meeting these people so you know how brave is that how brave are these children i i i, I couldn't do that you know come out and then be on tv i i'm nervous enough as a mom to do it and these children are, are my heroes and heroines and they are paving the way for the future for others and it's more imperative now than ever that they keep up the work and i want to help i want to i want to go to the prom too and i want to be a part of everything and i i think they're wonderful and what leaders they're going to be when they grow up. You know, Jazz is still trying to figure out what she wants to be when she grows up. I'm like, you don't have to, baby. You got into Harvard. You're at Harvard and you're doing things there, you know? And she's like, well, you know, I'm at the school. Um, should I be doing more? I'm like, you should be finding out who you are and what it is you want to do. This is your time to do you. You don't have to do anything else. If you, you know, if you never want to do anything else again, you don't have to. And then HRC will call me like, hey, can you come to DC to meet Daniel <laughs> and speak? And, you know, she'll say, oh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous, but I'll do it. So I'm glad that she's still dabbling in the advocacy work. But you know, if she stopped and, and retired, that would be okay, too. And I, I just have a feeling though, all of our kids will, whatever they do in life, they'll always be advocates, no one will take that away from them. Plus, you know, with the internet, everything lives on the internet. So somebody can see your kids, you know, when they were 15, even though they're 25, just learning about them for the first time. These kids are great. Hobbs, Daniel, way to go, way to go. So your family has been under attack by the likes of Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro and people of their ilk. But what do you feel is the most harmful lie being told right now about transgender youth? And what should allies know when it comes to this level of mis- and disinformation? This is such a huge topic because these people are horrible. And I first need to clarify, I haven't watched a majority of the videos for my own mental health. Um, our family's attacked. I'm specifically attacked so horribly, but I've seen enough and people have told me and I've seen snippets and I, I, I know what they're saying. And first of all, they're lies. They tell lies, lies, lies. They make things up that are not true. Um, they give in misinformation constantly. Just They pull these numbers out from nowhere. The data they give, the studies, the statistics, wrong, 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 wrong. Um, and then they spread the hate. There's so much hate in their hearts and not just these two gentlemen, but others as well. And they have these enormous followings. That's what's so scary is millions of people listen to them. And this year, is the year that they spoke out and attacked our family. I think it's because Jazz is an adult now and they felt like, okay, now we can attack because she's not a little kid anymore. And this was the year that I received the most hate that I have ever, ever received. Their rhetoric is aimed at blaming the parent. So I've had more death threats than anything. I am called a child abuser and I have Munchausen's by proxy. Those are the two big ones. They say that I made Jazz be transgender. And one of the things, the misinformation is given to people. People think you choose to be transgender, but it's not a choice. We know it's not a choice. We don't choose to be transgender. And then they have the social contagion thing. Also, all, you know, if your kid hangs out with, uh, you know, Daniel or Hops or Jazz, 
they're going to become transgender too because it's contagious. And that's, there's another piece of misinformation. And I I could go on and on. I don't want to give this topic too much, but it is an important topic. And the amount of hate I receive is insurmountable. I just know all that we are guilty of. The only thing that all of us are guilty of is loving our children unconditionally. That's the only thing that we are guilty of that we have done wrong in their eyes, you know, whatever. But, you know, that's about all I can say about them. They're, they're horrible. And one of them actually moved to Florida and specifically South Florida where I live. So grocery store. Hello. It's a scary thought. I'm sorry if I got on my soapbox. No, 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 you're fine. What's one piece of advice you would give to the parents of transgender youth who are dealing with all of this misinformation and disinformation? Well, these parents need to do their homework. Do not believe what you hear coming out of people's mouths, even people that are saying favorable things. You need to go and do your homework and read the studies. I've read so many studies where these numbers come from because you can hear lots of different numbers and it is confusing with any topic. And they really need to know what's true and what's not true and, and speak to to other parents, speak to professionals, do your homework. It's important just to block out what you're hearing everywhere on the news, even turn on the TV. You, you don't know what's true, what's not true sometimes, but do your research and you, the truth is there. It's there, it's in black and white, but you have to, to work hard sometimes to find it. And I wanna remind folks too, like, because I know earlier in this interview, I said that I'm very lucky to live in a city where we have a lot of advocates, that they've been trailblazers in their own right. And South Florida was a hub. I mean, Anita Bryant, right? And the pie in the face was Miami-Dade County, right? And so there's a long history because Florida is so big, because Texas is so large and, and Arizona, there's long histories that encompass LGBTQIA rights at these very important intersections around, you know, culture and race and and I, I just want to highlight how this is not new, right? Like I remember growing up in the eight, late 80s, well, in the 80s and 90s, I was a teenager in the 90s and hearing like, if you have gay friends, you're going to become gay, right? It's recycled rhetoric. And we know that the movement for, you know, LGBTQIA liberation has been a very long one. And so you're a part of that. I just want to highlight that. Like you're a part of that. The fact that jazz and your family were so visible also allows us to disrupt like, you know, white supremacist systems, right? Where assimilation is often a tool for survival and your visibility allows our children to live freely. And so I think that I'm always in awe when I speak to families who are willing to be as visible as you are. And I just want to say you are not alone in it. My question to you goes to the fact that you are a trailblazer. TLC's I Am Jazz literally set so so many children and families up for success because they were able to see a real life family going through real life things on TV. And it really changed the trajectory of so many other families. What was the inspiration? What was the catalyst for your family and that show? Interesting that you asked because we were talking about it as a family the other day. Um, we had done dibbles and dabbles of media. We did uh, with Oprah Network, we did one documentary, which they thought would go maybe into a pilot or something, but Jazz was only 11 and we all agreed, she's too young. Let's keep it at the one documentary. Even the network was scared. Like they were all just, oh, she's 11 years old. Um, so throughout the years, people would, you know, pitch us, let's do this, let's do that. And I, I just didn't like anything that I heard. And then one day I got an email from a gentleman and I go with my gut. And my gut said, you know what? I like what this guy is saying. And he's like, you know what? I can get you a show and I can get it where you can sort of call the shot on either TLC or Lifetime or a &E. I know that I can do this. And I'm like, yeah, right. You know, it's how hard is it? It's really hard to get a TV show. And he did. He absolutely hooked us up with TLC. And we were so scared, so nervous. We, we didn't know what we were doing. The first day of filming, uh, it was a disaster. They're like, you're looking at the cameras, you're all talking all over each other. So it was just sort of, um, I, I kind of led the way on that. Uh, the family was just like, I don't know. And I'm like, let's hear them out. And they do what's called a sizzle reel. We made the sizzle reel and um, it was really good. And uh, I, I felt like, you know what? We've done a lot of things. Jazz is 14 now. It's all on her. Do you want to do this? And she was like, yeah, I, I do want to do it. I'm like, this is going to change your life, but it, you know, it's going to help so many other people as well. And you do sacrifice a part of your life, your privacy to do this. And uh, I'm so grateful to her that she allowed it and her siblings too. Some, you know, her older sister's like, she's like Amy Osborne. <laughs> 
Osborne, she's like, no, but the boys are all about it. And my husband, he's a lot more involved than you think, because I get a lot of the negativity and they're like, the mother, the mother, the mother. I'm like, not to throw them under the bus, but everything my husband and I do, we do as a team. We decide together. There's no way I'm signing a contract. There is no way I'm signing anything without his approval and vice versa. So, you know, I went with my gut again and I'm really glad that it did. We thought we would have a season, maybe, you know, one season that would be great. Then two, then three, and they kept coming back and they're like, they want us. They really love us. You know, they want more. I, I was shocked that we did eight seasons. I had no idea. And, you know, the people are like, oh, they did it for the fame and fortune. Yeah, right. Do you know how awful it is to see yourself on TV? It is not a good feeling. You're like, that's what I look like and sound like. And it, it you just cringe. It, it's not anything. You don't get oodles of money. We're not Kardashians. Money that we do make goes, it goes to the children for, for Harvard and for other important things. And we're still in the same house. And we did not do it to be on TV. I never wanted to be on TV, but I knew that would have an impact. My husband knew, the kids knew. We did. We decided as a family, but Jazz always has the first say. The thing that you said that was so important that I don't think people fully appreciate, so I'm going to double down on, is that it's up to our children. We take the lead from our children. And it's not to say our children lead the way because they're still children and we're still their parents. But when it comes down to who they are, it's their story to tell. It's not ours. If our child wants to be out, they can be out. If our child doesn't want to be out, they're not going to be out. If our child wants to wear X, Y, or Z, they're going to wear X, Y, Z. Not because we're saying you must wear this. It's because they have agency and we listen to them. We expect our children to tell us the truth. And when they do, we listen to them. We don't expect our children to lie to us and to say, oh, I'm something that I'm not. Like, what child does that intentionally? And so I just love the fact that you talked about how Jazz didn't want to do it. So Jazz didn't do it. And when Jazz wanted to do it, we did it. And we talked about these things like a family because, you know, a person's especially when we are talking about gender expansive kids, how they identify affects the whole family. It just doesn't affect one person. And so we have to respect who they are and we have to support and love who they are. So I really just, I love that you shared that with us. And I hope our listeners really appreciate the value of these familial decisions being made to support our other family members. Absolutely. We are a family. Um, and that's why our first documentary was called I Am Jazz, A Family in Transition. That's what we call, We wanted to know it was a family thing. And we've always looked that way. And um, we people think, you know, it's fake and phony. They don't really love each other that much. You're just doing it for the cameras. But we are corny. We really love each other. Like, it, like we like being around each other. I mean, the twins fight more than anybody else. But uh, like the siblings surprised Jazz at Harvard. The love that you could see when she hugged her brother. But it's genuine and it's real. And those haters will be like, oh, you know, this is fake. No. You know, it's real. The love is real. We're not putting on it. That was a, a day we weren't filming. Sandra just happened to put it on uh, because it was a surprise. We're here. And, you know, it's genuine. And I'm really proud to say that we have a functional family. Uh, we have our issues. We have our problems. We're not perfect, but we truly, truly love being around each other. And we love each other very much. And I think that shows. I, I really do. And anybody that doubts that, you know what? It's because maybe they don't have that in their life and they don't appreciate what they have. So once again, it's those comments you don't want to read. Just go through them for the nice comments, though. I think what really impacted me, too, when Daniel and I would watch the show, like with our with my husband, we would watch it as a family and we were really struggling with our own extended family. Um, I loved seeing your parents like engage and be a part of the journey. I thought that was really special. What advice do you have for families who feel like they may lose their families? Like, what did you do to bring your parents and extended family members along the journey with you? When it came to telling family, um, it wasn't all rainbows, sunshine. Um, it was difficult. There were members of the family that were not accepting. My parents were not those. At first, they were they balked a little bit. They were on board. But we had family members that refused to switch the pronoun at first for a few years. And we're like, if you don't use the right pronoun we're not going to come here. And they, uh, family members did not approve of us doing Barbara Walters media, but we had to stay the course and we knew what we were doing was right. And we just did us, you know, we couldn't worry about what they thought. If they wanted to come along on the journey with us, that's great. If not, we're still going on this journey. This is, these are our lives. And if you love and respect us enough, you'll respect Jazz and who she is and you'll do your homework too. And I feel bad for families that break up over this. It's, it's really sad because all you're doing is supporting and loving your child. And if the rest of the family can't see that, 
I feel sorry. And I, I've spoken to families where I've actually talked to a family member, like a dad that wasn't on board. And the wife said, will you talk to him? Sure. You know, and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work, but there's a wall. And sometimes some of the families, as you chisel into that wall, further and further, they come around. It may take several years. I've seen many people that were dead set. No, no, no. Eventually do come around and then they become strong allies. So there's always a silver lining. Absolutely. Lisa and I are both dealing with stupid family members. And I'm going to call them stupid for now because maybe they'll become intelligent later. But for now, they're stupid. As we come up on 18 years, you know, we're going to go back to how long you've been doing this advocacy. (laughs) But as we come up on 18 years of you publicly advocating on behalf of trans youth in this country, reflecting on that time, what really strikes you the most? What stands out the most for you in that time? Um, I said this earlier. It is how special these children are. Every every time I learn about another kid, I am blown away. And I listed all the things before, but I'm going to say them again. They're articulate. They are brilliant. They are gifted. They are talented. They're musicians. They're artists. They're politicians. They can act. They can dance. They can sit. They can do everything. And I, I say, is it because they're working both sides of their brain? I don't know, but they are higher human beings. And that's what I've learned, that transgender people are so special and so, so brave. The bravest people I've ever met in my life are transgender people, because I think that they're probably, if not the most marginalized group of people out there, especially, you know, the women of color. You know, I've been speaking for years since Jazz was 12. We've been speaking Transgender Day of Remembrance. Actually, we've been going since she was really little. And I I believe that they, they have a rough life out there. And who are we not to support them? We need to support them. We need to to raise them up to a level and say, you know what? You are special. You are great. You are wonderful. And I think everybody should do that. And I know you are. So hopefully some more will <laughs> come on board. I shared this with you yesterday when we were on the phone. It's really important for me to mention it again, is that when I told my best friend from college what we were experiencing, she told me, don't tell anyone, you're the only one. And then we found your show, right? Like we, I was like, wait, no, <laughs> there's Jazz Jennings. And, and then I thought to myself, is it really just us and Jazz Jennings? What was it like and what has it been like for you to see so many families, like just come out and share support for their trans kids and to see like this groundswell of like change in the way we parent trans kids. What has that been like for you? Um, It gives me goosebumps really to see how many parents are on board. Um, There's a Facebook group that I was one of the starting founders of, and there's like 8,000 caregivers on there now. And um, when we started this journey, I found one support group online and they were my lifeline. They were the ones that said, it's okay. Cause I said, does anybody here have a child that transitioned before kindergarten? And I heard cricket, but they said, you know what? Nobody here has, but we have still have elementary school kids that have and go forward, do what you have to do. And since then, it's just become huge. All these online support groups are so pivotal, so important. I, I feel that the greatest help get are from other parents. And I just think of that one little tiny support group. That's all I can find. And th- they started in 1999. And I-, I think about that. And then I see fast forward to today, how this has grown. And there's just so many books out there now. That's another thing. Like there were no books. There was nothing. Cobwebs in the library. And I love every time a new book comes out for the kids, that warms my heart. There's just too much to mention that's fabulous. But we have come so far from that one little group of parents that are like, you can do this, Jeanette. Follow Jazz's lead. You can do it. And I'm forever grateful to those parents. Some of them I'm still in touch with today. And they had kids that were adults at the time. So those kids, you know, these people are like great grandparents now. (laughs) I'm serious. Like, because Jazz was three when I joined my first support group, three years old. They're like, you have a three-year-old transgender kid? I'm like, yeah, help somebody. (laughs) What do I do? But now you, you see a lot of the younger kids. There were kids you know, at the events I went to that had transitioned at three and four and Jazz was five when she transitioned. And I'm like, these families are great. When I went through the parties and would see all the families with the young kids, I, I would cry I'm like, yay, yay. Sorry if I got off track again. It's just a lot of emotion. There's just so many things that I've seen throughout the years and so many stories, but the change has been fantastic. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. And then our final question is, if you could give parents of trans and non-binary kids three pieces of advice for raising their kids in this country, what would you tell them? 
Well, I've read that question and I narrowed it down to four. So I hope that's okay. First of all, is the unconditional love. And I've been saying this for years and I read it somewhere once. Love and parent the child you have, not the child you wish you had. Period. That's it. Uh, unconditional love. Number two is to reach out to other parents of transgender and non-binary youth because they are the best allies. They will have the stories that will help you. You can go to the professionals, but the other parents are lifelines for many. Uh, number three is follow their lead. Follow the lead of the child. They know, and you were saying earlier, they know what they want to wear. They know who they are and listen to them. Just listen and follow their lead. And finally, don't listen to the haters. Like don't read the comments. Don't listen to the haters because I call them the meanies. They're the meanies and they have no place being here and they need to go back to their little holes wherever they are in their basements. So those are my four words of advice. And if you have any, I'd love to hear yours. Oh my goodness. No, this is this this show is about you, okay? <laughs> and that was awesome. We are so, so grateful that you accepted our invitation to be on our show. You are truly a trailblazer. You have given parents of transgender and non-binary kids hope for their future because they've watched you successfully raise a beautiful, amazing, a talented child from childhood to adulthood. And it gives us all hope that our children could see such success. You are a beacon for supportive parenting, for supportive families. It really has been an honor to have you on our show today. And you're going to make me cry. I'm getting all choked up. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Let's definitely stay in touch. Now it's time for our recurring segment, Allies and Assholes, where we highlight individuals or groups that are supporting the LGBTQIA community on the one hand and call out straight up assholes who are trying to move us all backwards on the other. Lisette, who are we talking about today? You know who we're talking about. Our ally of the week is... AOC Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> During a congressional hearing on Tuesday, December 5th, that discussed legislative proposals that restrict trans athletes from participating in sports, AOC used her time to show up her political opponents and expose the true transphobic intentions behind the hearing. Speaking at the hearing, AOC laid out exactly why Republican attempts to target trans women in sports was dangerous for all women. The chair now recognizes Ms. Ocasio-Cortez. Thank you. And I've spent a um, decent amount of my time here in Congress sitting through panels and hearings of men attempting to restrict the rights of women and telling us that it's for our own good. Um, but I want to dive a little bit more deeply into why this issue with targeting trans women in sports is particularly problematic, not just for trans girls, but for all of us. We're here today because there's a proposal here and there are several proposals here uh, to further marginalize trans women in sports. And I think about this all the time because trans people in the United States doesn't even exceed 1% of our population. And yet there's so many resources and energy and time dedicated to figuring out how we can more finely exclude them um, from our sports. And I thought, why, why? Why so much effort and dedication on such a tiny portion of the U.S. population when there virtually is no major issue that is, um, that is precipitating? And I started to realize that a lot of these proposals here um, involve invasion of privacy of all women. Ms. Goss-Graves, can you tell us a little bit about what sex testing looks like for youth in states with trans athletic bans? It's terrible. Uh, in some states, any individual could challenge whether someone is a girl enough to play. In some states, it requires actual a genital verification, which is shocking. Mm -hmm. um, and there aren't, it's not as if there. Oh. And let me just stop you right there. You said there are some proposals. I mean, we've seen this in Ohio. There was a proposed ban on trans athletes that originally allowed for genital examinations on minors in order to quote unquote protect women. Is that correct? Unfortunately, yes. And so we're seeing here in this guise, under the guise of not only trying to further marginalize trans women and girls, we are talking about opening up all women and girls to genital examinations 
when they are under age. That's right. Ocasio-Cortez pointed specifically to states like Ohio, which had proposed bans on trans athletes that would have allowed for genital examinations on minors in order to, quote, unquote, protect women. In her passionate opposition to the proposed legislation, AOC made it crystal clear that blatant attempts to further marginalize trans women and girls would impact all women and girls. That's right. And this is why Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is our ally of the week. Okay, congratulations to Representative Ocasio-Cortez. Now on to our asshole of the week. Our asshole of the week is Representative Jim Banks of Indiana. Representative Banks has introduced a bill to ensure that transgender kids in foster care can be placed in unsupportive environments that harm their well-being. His bill, the Sensible Adoption for Every Home Act, would cut federal funding to any child welfare agencies or groups that refuse to place trans kids in transphobic foster parent homes. Like, can you imagine? Banks introduced his bill in opposition to a proposed rule from the Department of Health and Human Services that would require foster care agencies to place LGBTQ plus minors with care providers who respected their identities. This rule change is meant to address the extensively documented risk factors and adverse outcomes that LGBTQ plus children in foster homes often experience. Banks has had a long history of anti-LGBTQ plus views. In February of 2023, he introduced a bill to ban transgender people from serving in the U.S. military. In July of 2022, he endorsed a national trans support ban. Banks supports government retaliation against corporations that publicly oppose anti-LGBTQ plus laws and considers drag queens deeply disturbing and offensive. That's why Representative Jim Banks is our asshole of the week. Well, that's our show for today, folks. I want to thank today's guest, Jeanette Jennings, for joining us. And of course, I want to thank my co-host, sitting right here, Seth Rio, for rocking with me on these airwaves. Thanks, Stephen. And you know that I got you. And also, we have to thank our listeners. So thanks for tuning in to the Parent Advocate Podcast. And folks, please be sure to like, subscribe, do everything you have to do to stay abreast of everything going on here at the Parent Advocate Podcast. Bye. If you're thinking about harming yourself, Get immediate support. Please reach out to the Trevor Project and connect to a crisis counselor 24 7, 365 days a year from anywhere in the United States. It's 100% confidential and 100% free. You can get help at thetrevorproject.org. If you'd like to support any of the organizations working actively to support LGBTQ people, please visit the ACLU at action.aclu.org or the Human Rights Campaign at hrc.org. You've been listening to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Tune in again for another episode.